You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. It is 11 a.m. on a sunny and beautiful hump day Wednesday here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for another edition of Southern Fried Sports here on Tide 100.9, your home for Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. I am Jacob Harrison filling in for the one and only Travis Ryer. And just as I am filling in for Travis I also have Mason Woods in the house filling in for me, producing the show. And together today, we will form the 60-Minute Men. Woo! And we'll get Mason included here in just a minute. We've also got intern Bobby hanging out with us, learning uh, the ropes as well. But as always, do remind you that the show is brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard. Try them out today. Go give them a a check-in, and go find something sweet. Today they, uh, they've they got some hand-dipped graham crackers, caramel apples, elephant tusk, and all that sounds incredible. Man, listen, when I fill in for Travis, one of the hardest things to do is to compose myself when I have to read the Peter Brook ads because I'm a chocolate fiend. If I have a dessert, I want it to have chocolate in it unless it's like peach cobbler. Like That's the only other thing that exists. That's not chocolate. That doesn't just... Whew. I love desserts, and I love chocolate. So give Peter Brook a, a, a look here today for me. Do it for me because I can't go there. I'll spend way too much money. My wife will get mad at me. Go check them out. They're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you need to call ahead, 205-752-0211 is the number to call. 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. You can always call the show, 205-342-9904 on the Peter Brook. Chocolate tier hotline today at ten. Excuse me, eleven fifteen. Uh, we will have AJ Spur of Roll Tide Wire join the show. We'll get his thoughts on many of the changes that are taking place in college football this year. Some pro Bama pro, uh, players as well. AJ keeps a uh, a close look at the Bama's Bama prospects, or excuse me, the Bama alumni that are in the NFL, uh, much like I do. He does it for Roll Tide Wire, much like I do it for Tide109.com. So we'll get his thoughts on that. Tua as well, obviously, he uh, keeps an even closer eye on his Dolphins. Uh, We'll get his thoughts and opinions 
here in just a little bit. But uh, as I said, Mason Woods filling in for me. Mason, what's going on, man? You having a good day so far? Yeah, it's 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 a pretty good day. I mean, it's it's better than Monday. Monday that weather was really awful. So yeah. uh, so far so good. I'm a little tired this morning. You know, I had a late night. You know, putting in the hours at Domino's, the pizza grind doesn't stop. So <laughs> the pizza grind does not stop. Uh, if if Mason's not here at nine o'clock, then I know he did not go to sleep until this morning. <laughs> so and that was the case today. Uh, as for me, you know, uh, yesterday I went and got. Uh, a tattoo. I got a cover up of a uh, old tribal, cheap, poorly done tattoo that I got right, you know, about the time I was 18, 19 years old. And uh, went out to Cynical up in Northport. And man, David did an incredible job. So props to him. We're not done yet. I got to go back in late August to, to finish this thing out. Uh, but man, I'm, I'm super happy about it. So I had to give the quick shout out to Cynical Tattoos up in Northport. So today, most of what I want to dive into still revolves around what we're dealing with with the evolution of college sports. So I, I do want to get some folks involved on the show, 205-342-9904, uh, around our conversation with AJ Spur so that we can kind of start to, to continue to, to hear some thoughts and opinions on the way that, that college football is evolving. Because while it's, it's scary, and it's understandably scary, this is a, a very important week in college football history. We've already kind of went through the transfer portal phase where we're starting to understand what that is. It, it's it's one of those things where it's not going to hurt more teams than it helps, and it's not going to help more teams than it hurts. I feel like it's going to be fairly balanced. If Alabama's going to bring in two marquee transfers a year and lose seven players who weren't going to play for them for the next two years anyway, you know, then that that kind of that kind of balances itself out, right? And and those seven players go in a myriad of different directions and and help out those schools the way that they can. So. You know, and one of, one of those was a graduate transfer anyway, so he was going to be gone regardless. But then when you come back and you look now with the college football playoff committee uh, coming together yesterday alongside the NCAA and kind of pushing forward what we need to have pushed forward in the ways of advancing this expansion, uh you know, and we we talked about it on Gary's show as well. Billy Napier, you know, a coach that, that gets a two million, you know, a raise up to uh, two million dollars a year. You know, it's kind of opening up the group of five to be more entertaining. And you know, while we're discussing, you know, the entertainment side of the NBA, it works. It works to have non-traditional programs in those spots because you see something new. Now, we as Alabama fans. And and me as somebody who covers Alabama for a living, like I want Alabama to always be good because that means more paychecks and that means better paychecks and that means more interesting uh, trips to to wherever down the road, right? Selfishly, from a myriad of positions, that's where I stand. But when you look at like what's happening in the NBA and you look at what happens every year in the college basketball tournament, uh. I mean, even look at last year in the NFL. The the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been awful for 20 years. They get Tom Brady. I know it's Tom Brady, and that kind of takes away from it for a little bit. But, 
you know, that happens. Or we got the Kansas City Chiefs coming up now. Like, new things happening is good. Like, having greatness isn't a bad thing. So it's not a bad thing that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State run run the world in college football. But it's a good thing to have other squads to come in and compete with them and see if they can knock off, you know, the the the, the kings of the mountain. And I think that that as we continue to get closer and closer to that, you know, we should kind of you know if, if if we're if we're sports fans who who soak in everything, and I'm learning how to do that, and we soak in what's happening in these NBA playoffs it kind of reflects positively on what's going to happen in college football. Don't you think Mason? Yeah. I think I saw something on Twitter. I believe it said that like viewership up is up from last year for the NBA playoffs, like 30 something percent. I mean, and, and that's the big thing that the NCAA is missing out on. Honestly, like, I mean, the argument that people, you know, aren't going to watch these games if it's not the best, you know, if it's not your like Alabama's and Clemson, that's ridiculous. People are going to watch whatever football the NCAA gives us. Well, you know, there's some of us, who are football fans first. Like, that's me. I, I watch football. I if, if Alabama's not on, then I'm going to watch another game. I, Saturdays and Sundays in the fall and in the winter, I am watching football. Nothing else. Thursday nights, Monday nights, probably watching football. Uh, and I understand that, other, that there are many fans who only watch their teams. But consider the number of fans whose teams are done, who, whose teams are done after Thanksgiving. And now they kind of have an opportunity to play for something. And that's where the center of the argument comes from. Oh, well, it's all about money. Of course it's about money. You think the NCAA is going to do something and not be about money? Look at what they're in court for or what they have been in court court for and what uh, Brett Kavanaugh eviscerated them over. It was because of the way that they handle money. But at the end of the day, what they're not going to do is anything that will damage the sport that they rely on so heavily for money. Therefore, the expansion will only be good for them financially. And in the long run, good for the sport too. You can't hurt, you can't benefit the NCAA financially and hurt the on field product. I don't think you can. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's naive to a degree. But like, even with the NFL changing its rules a little bit to, to garner more, uh, viewership, they have skewed the rules in favor of the offense. So there's more scoring. And has it taken away from what the sport used to be many, many years ago? Yeah, sure, to a degree. But it's also an exciting brand of football that's safer for its players so players can play for a longer time and have a, a, a better you know lifestyle of health after they retire. How is any of that a bad thing? So it's the same thing in college football where the, the financial side is, is the end goal for the suits that make these decisions. But on the other side, it's 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 a quality positive for the fans who who basically give the money to those suits to indulge in the sport and to enjoy the sport. And, you know, there's something that, uh, that Dinon said yesterday in his phone call, uh, and we weren't able to get into it a little, you know, as much as I would like to because we were running out of time, but I don't understand the argument of college football is just turning into the NFL. Outside of the slight free agency factor that plays in with the transfer portal man people are going to watch college football regardless of if these players are, are getting a paycheck from third parties or from schools preferably third parties let me stress that very much is that most people that are in favor of name image and likeness compensation 
want it to come from third parties and want it to be under the umbrella of the, or this is me speaking from my opinion now, want it to be under the umbrella of the NCAA for them to formulate a plan to police it and, and make it work correctly, not just kick the can out to Congress or to states who, who can't formulate plans because they don't have anything to do with athletics. That That's a broken idea. But when it comes down to it, like folks are still going to watch football. Uh, and and while consider consider the premise of the fact that there are many people who were very upset, and it's and it's their right to be upset about it, about the the protests in the NFL that have happened at the beginning of most years, you know, over the past four or five. But a lot of those people still go back and watch football. A lot of those people still go back and watch the NFL. They may not say it in public, but but the ratings do not lie. The NFL dominates every time slot during the fall and winter. They cannot be stopped. And it's the same for college football, except for it plays on such a much smaller scale because three-fourths of the country feels like they are not involved in the national scene. And while I have always agreed that college football is rooted in its... uh, is rooted in its regional place where you know, it, it's always mattered on a regional scale much more than it has on a national scale. The the way that the world is structured now with social media and everything that plays its part, you gotta you got to make a mark nationally to be able to recruit at the highest level. Why? That's why Alabama recruits so well. That's why Clemson recruits so well. That's why Ohio State recruits so well. That's why... Three starting quarterbacks for those three schools come from within 30 miles of each other in Southern California. Instead of one of them playing for USC, they all play on the opposite side of the country for the three best programs of college football who are perennially featured in the national scene. So we can talk about how it it, it ruins the sport. No, it changes the sport. Change does not automatically mean improvement, no more than it automatically means deterioration. On the grander scheme of things, it will spread things out. It will balance the the playing field slightly over a long period of time. Not right out of the gate. 2023, I guarantee you, is probably still going to go to Clemson, Ohio State, or Alabama. If not, it'll be a surprising team, much like LSU did a couple of years ago. But there's no reason to believe that it's going to flip the, the, the entire structure on its head and then cave in it won't this is this is building more support under a structure that's lucky that it stands at all we'll take a break we'll come back aj spur of usa today's roll tide wire will join us on the other side for southern fried sports i'm jacob harrison we'll be right back on your home for alabama sports tide 100.9 Alabama football countdown clock is driven by Crawford Insurance, Tuscaloosa's low-cost auto insurer. Call 752-6489 for a free quote today. There are, there are, there are 73 days until Alabama football. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. 
Tonight's early summer day is in progress across the area. Lots of sunshine, just some fair weather cumulus clouds. It'll be that way again tomorrow. 85 today, time high today. We'll drop to around 66 overnight tonight and back up to 86 degrees tomorrow. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. Just a heads up, we keep a close eye on our cousins out in Birmingham. The UAB Blazers baseball program has hired uh, former Sanford baseball coach Casey Dunn as its next head coach. 17 seasons with the Bulldogs out in Sanford and three NCAA tournament appearances. It's like a good baseball is coming to UAB next season. Right now, we'll uh, head out to the Chocolatier, the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio hotline and welcome in AJ Spur of uh, Roll Tide Wire. Let me, uh, real quick, I forgot you sent me this, AJ, so I didn't do my job correctly here. Uh, but, yeah, AJ Spur, writer for USA Today Sports, Roll Tide Wire covering Alabama football and director of football operations for Tribes, Tribe Sports Agency. AJ, what's going on, man? You doing all right? How's it going? No complaints on my end. What are things looking like over there in Tuscaloosa? It's hot. It's it, it's really it's, it, it's hot. <laughs> we got that in common, at least. Yeah, I know. I know the sun's always kind down in Miami too, but uh, nonetheless, it, it is it is hot. But what's what's uh, what's exciting around here is you know, despite it being mid June, uh, the evolution of college football has kind of given us a lot to to discuss uh, moving forward. And even though a lot of these changes won't take place for a long time, or are completely up in the air as to when they will change. Uh, we did get some information as far as the college football playoff expansion. Of course, as it's been reported all this time, like this is going to happen, but it does have to go through certain steps and requirements. And yesterday it, it passed one of those uh, requirements, and now they'll move into the uh, the summer review phase and start to iron out some of these details. Uh, but, but where I want to kind of go with this is, of course, since we know that this is something that is basically going to happen, uh, over the past eight years, it feels like the college football playoff has done a good job, even with just four teams. But it has kind of narrowed things down into those three teams. Do you think, uh, AJ, over time, that this will help balance things out? Like Certainly, those first few years, it, it's probably going to stay Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. But maybe over time, this will help balance the, the parity scale in college football? I do, and, and I, I think... You know, you hit the nail right on the head there. It's going to take some time. I think it's going to do so with recruiting. I mean, you look at these schools like Coastal Carolina. You know, even SMU now is on the rise. Um, these smaller schools, even Power 5 schools that may be, you know, middle of the pack as far as top 25 goes. But with this, you know, added eight teams on top of the college football playoff now, they could have a shot at either making it or getting very, very close. They can use that to recruit players and say, hey, look, we're a few pieces away. We need you on here. You're the you know, missing piece to the puzzle here. Once we get you, we'll do this, this, and that. But I think right away, you know, 
adding more teams at the end of the day isn't going to change the outcome of the entire playoff. I mean, we're still going to have, you know, four teams, even though we now also have five through 12. So the Alabama, the Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, whatever it may be, those teams are still going to be there. They just now have to go through a few other steps before they can make it to, you know, the top four or the uh, national championship. But it's very interesting. I've been reading up a lot on it. There's a lot of things that aren't being, you know, covered nationally. For example, I don't think a lot of people know that the current format is actually under contract until 2025, but they would amend the contract to make it 2023 when all this would start. So a lot of people are thinking, you know, this year, maybe, you know, 12-team playoff next year, when in reality it's going to take three, maybe even four years before we could see this thing actually come to fruition. Yeah, the, the absolute earliest we can get it is 2023. Uh, how do you think this will impact scheduling, though, if at all? Because, I mean, you know, we know Alabama's non-conference schedule, you know, for the most part, probably about 90% of it over the next decade and a half. But when you look out to the Pac-12 where they see this opportunity to finally be a real contender in the postseason or or these group of five schools that are not going to want to have to schedule power five schools that, that can beat them and derail a perfect season that they would need to get into uh, one of those 12 seeds or, or, or any of these matchups. I mean, you look at Georgia, and I heard Kirby Smart tell uh, Marty and McGee a few Saturdays ago that he thinks that the, the Clemson matchup is still good for Georgia. They've got it scheduled uh, this year, uh, two years from now, and then for several years in a row uh, in the 2030s where that matchup can probably still help them and not define their seasons because it'll be early. Uh, but, but when it comes down to it, these teams you know, are still going to want to be as close to perfect as possible to ensure a spot. How do you think this is going to impact the scheduling of programs across the country to, to try to claim one of those 12 seeds? Well, let me put it this way. If scheduling non-conference Power 5 opponents was bad, you know, Alabama might be SOL here for the next decade and a half, like you said, because, I mean, how many Power 5 non-conference opponents have they scheduled in the last two years up until, like, 2032, you know? It's got to be, so, like, 20. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it. But you, I know when, when you look at those, you know, the Pac-12, um, the Big 12, the ACC, uh, conferences like that, you know, they need all the help they can get due to just lack of strength within their own conference to boost their own resume. When you look at the Big Ten and the SEC, I don't think there are going to be any problems there with, you know, a two-loss Alabama team potentially making, you know, the college football playoff. And I've noticed on Twitter a lot of people have been saying, well, extending the playoff this much is going to make the regular season, you know, worthless. There's no point in watching it. To me, the NBA playoff makes it so that, you know, the regular season isn't worth watching. This, however, makes it more exciting. Because if, a, for example, Penn State last season, you know, they dropped two very, very early in the season. You know, I mean, they did not look good at all for the rest of the season. But when a big team like that loses early, you almost feel as if there's no point in the rest of the season. Because when you narrow it down to only four teams to make the playoff, like you said, Jacob, you have to remain perfect. I think this gives teams, you know, a little bit of leeway to – uh you know, maybe drop a game, not that you want to drop a game, but that, you know, if it happens, it's not like your entire season is ruined. Like the NBA playoffs does make, I, I fully agree with you. The NBA playoffs does make the regular season pretty meaningless. I mean, having an 82 game schedule makes it pretty meaningless too. 
But at the end of the day, their playoffs is what is where the NBA makes their money because uh, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, and it's the same thing with 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 college basketball. The NFL's playoffs work very well. Uh, I mean, don't you think on on some scale that improving the the playoffs in in college football and maybe taking that slight bit away from uh, the the win it all or you know whatever situation the the fact that that so many people think it's the best college, uh, or excuse me, the best regular season in sports because of the do or die situations. Don't you think giving so much more to the playoffs can help? Uh, uh, I mean, which is better to have that, that do or die regular season or to have an expanded playoff with more moments of uh, emotion and, and uncertainty? I, I prefer the latter in all honesty. You know, I, I use Penn state as an example, just because, you know, my college roommate was a Penn state fan and he, lost his mind early in the season last year just because he knew for the rest of Penn State season, nothing is going to matter. You know, if you drop the first game or the second game, even the third game, you know, really your, your chances of making it back up into the top four are, you know, next to none. All right. Alabama made the college football playoff a few years ago after losing to Auburn. Right. But that was very late in the season. There were some other things that had to happen, and Alabama just made it, and even then a lot of people were upset about it. This, to me, is perfect. I, I, I can't put it any other way besides saying, you know, you lose a game, so what? You know, try to pick back up, try to sneak back into the top 12 instead of trying to go from, you know, 15th all the way back down into the top four, which is nearly impossible. But on the devil's advocate side of that, because I understand where a lot of people feel this, it, it's it's going to be a lot harder to have undefeated champions in this in this realm with this new playoff scheme, uh, and that is one thing that's unique to college football. And I, I think that's a place that that a lot of people are coming from that are against these these changes is the uniqueness of college football against every other sport, even its you know it, 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 it's big daddy in the NFL is the uniqueness. Does the playoffs eventually kind of take away some of that uniqueness or does it bring something new to the table that, that we don't know how good it can be until we have it? I think it's going to bring something new to the, uh, to the table. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is before we even see it happen. Uh, you look at March Madness and all these uh, Cinderella stories like UMBC a few years ago. Basketball and football are very different wherein that football, nine times out of ten, the better team will win. In basketball, you know, it, it's kind of iffy sometimes. You can have an off day. You know, things aren't going your way. The other team's hot. You're not. In football, it's not really like that. But I'm looking right here at what the 2020 college football playoff would have been like if they had the 12-team format. Coastal Carolina would have played Notre Dame. All right. Now, Jacob, let me ask you, who do you think is going to win that, Notre Dame or Coastal Carolina? Not Notre Dame. All right. BYU, Coastal Carolina last year, everyone I knew thought BYU was going to walk away with that. Coastal Carolina presumed, or presumably, the worst team. However, they showed up to play, and they outplayed BYU. Right. You never know what's going to happen on these, um, on these fields just because Coastal Carolina, they know they're the underdog. They show up to play. They're more prepared. I mean... Heck, these are trap games in the playoffs. You know, for me, that that's about as exciting as it can get. If I can see a Coastal Carolina win over Notre Dame in the playoffs, 
you know, I might as well just call it quits and never watch college football again because that's my peak. What What's bizarre to me is is for a lot of the people that, that are so heavily against the expansion, they, they remember so vividly App State beating Michigan. They remember so vividly Troy beating LSU. So many of those upsets, mm-hmm. and now they would, they would mean even more uh, in the grander scheme of things, a Cincinnati be- beating a Georgia would be would be history. A Coastal Carolina beating a Notre Dame that would be that would be history. Uh, we're talking to AJ Spur of USA Today's Roll Tide Wire. I'm Jacob Harrison filling in for Travis Ryer here on Southern Fried Sports. AJ, let's talk about the NIL side of things too. Uh, early this week, the NCAA loses the Austin case, which has a lot to do with the educational benefits that that athletes can receive. And while that was a big common sense ruling that that took a hundred years to get to, uh, we're on the other side. Brett Kavanaugh eviscerated is is a disgusting word, but when it's used <laughs> in this content, it is such a beautiful word because <laughs> there's no better word to describe what Kavanaugh did to the NCAA, saying that their business model would be flatly illegal in most cases in America, and that the NCAA is not above the law. Uh, Of course, all Kavanaugh's words did was just put pressure on the NCAA and draw social media's attention to what the NCAA does and saying that that there are those in the government that not not only just question the leadership in the NCAA, but thinks that they're breaking antitrust laws. Now, of course, with the meetings that, that are going on both yesterday and today, they've got to figure something out. But July first is looming. What what do you think uh, the NCAA is going to be able to do uh, about this situation that befalls them heading into the fall season? Well, first of all, I want to say, being a politics guy, I've never seen so much universal support behind Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> after after that statement came out. I thought that was hilarious. As for what the NCAA can do, to be honest, I'm not sure. I mean, we're sitting. You know, about a week out now from July 1st, there's Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, New Mexico, and Texas all have signed bills set to go into, you know, action in a week. The NCAA just got demolished by a Supreme Court justice that a lot of people are now supporting that a few months ago would have, you know, opted to not have on the Supreme Court. There's so many things right here the NCAA is trying to do you know, too much, too late, in my opinion. These are things that could have been worked out a long, long time ago. They've stalled. These are things that, you know, it, it can't be done in this amount of time, especially considering the deadline is, I mean, a week away. You know, I've got a tee time for golf planned past then. You know, how is the NCAA going to fix all this by then? And, and what's what's wild is that... Uh... The NCAA has six commissioners, including Greg Sankey, that just in the span of the past few weeks have proposed a different route to handle NIL, uh, and that being basically to just hand it over to the schools and the state legislature and let them handle it and and take the NCAA's hands off of it completely. Now, uh, from a certain point of view, that would seem to make sense because the NCAA already struggles to police its schools in recruiting allegations and those sorts of things. They struggle to have uh, consistent punishments across the board. They even struggle to uphold those punishments and let them last as long as they're supposed to. 
but on, mm-hmm. on the other side of that, you're putting this in the hands of people who can bend the rules a little bit to their advantage or have no idea what they're doing uh, and, and are actually going to hurt their programs in the long run. I, I can't contend that Georgia would benefit from what their state has in place as far as spreading the wealth of the top players to the rest of the athletes in, in the state. So which, which way do you think, because I'm going to look at it the way I do and, and have my opinion, so I'm curious about yours. Which way out of those do you think is, is the best route and which one do you think is the one we actually end up getting? Well, to start off, I think that the one we do end up getting is, is what you said, which is leaving it to the schools and you know state legislators. I, I can't see the NCAA supporting you know the you know control coming from the top, from the NCAA, from the federal level. That is what I think would be best as long as they're able to do it right. I was talking to you know a few agents just the other day about what this means for high school players going into uh, the collegiate level. How does that you know affect? Because they're allowed to work with agents on signing deals. They're allowed financial advice now if, if their state has an NIL bill passed. And what they said was, you know, when you look at the MLB, the uh, NBA, and the NFL, it's all centralized. It's all at the top of each respective league. If a player has a contract with Nike or with Adidas, but their league is represented by Nike, you know, there's, there's no gray area. It's a fine line. When they're not on the court, they're allowed to wear Adidas, the brand they're represented by. When they are on the field, they wear Nike. The issue with the NCAA is, you know, every school has a different sponsorship deal. Alabama has Nike. Florida has um Jordan brand. So it's so complicated here because if the NCAA wants to take full control over it, they can, but it's going to be a very long and tedious process. If they do it state by state and school by school, I think that would take a lot of pressure off of the NCAA. But like you said, there's a lot of room for, you know, disaster to strike. That's terrifying. <laughs> the, the, the thought of it being <laughs> in the hands of, of 50 states and, and over 1,100 colleges and universities is, is downright terrifying. But at the very least... We know that on July 1st, no matter what happens, our alma mater is going to be fine. Alabama will be fine. I, I, I've, I've looked through Alabama's NIL law. I'm sure you have too, where it, it's, it's bare bones. It's the basic necessities. It is the basic rules, the basic ideology of what you think it would take to run this and run it effectively. Uh, so at the very least, on that side of things, Alabama is set up for success, and when you consider the the, the prestige of the university already, uh, the advantages that the advantage, pun intended, is going to bring to these student-athletes as well, at the very least, Alabama fans can know that this is not going to negatively impact Alabama whatsoever. No. And, and another thing, Jacob, I, I do want to point out, and this is it's related, but it's not necessarily what we've been saying. There are a lot of people that think NIL – you know, name, image, likeness, they think it just means, you know, paying the players. They're, they're basically on payroll now from the university. I, I really think it needs to be emphasized. These players are not being paid by the school. You know, that has been proposed and thought of beforehand, 
the issue is if they were to split the profits among the entire athletic department, every player would be getting about $9 you know, per semester. That's These are people that are going to be going out getting their own brand deal, getting their own endorsements, sponsorships outside of the university. They're not allowed to be using, you know, the script day in their um, imagery or, you know, they can't say Alabama star, whatever. They are individuals, just like how you and I, when we were in college, could have gone out and had, you know, sponsorships from mom and pop stores or wherever. But I, I don't think that's talked about enough. Yeah, it has to be stressed on is and at the very least. From a common sense standpoint, and you know, Kavanaugh kind of touched on it in his dissertation and in his opinion, how when if if this is under the NCAA's umbrella, then it kind of creates a windstorm of questions on Title IX. How do you do this fairly? How do you police it? How do mm-hmm. you do you put a cap on it or don't you? Uh, you know, and at do schools provide the payment or do they get it from third party? I've stood for a long time on the ideal that if you make it about the schools paying the players then that is one of those things that could break what little structure the the you know college sports has against the idea of allow it to be a capitalistic structure where players are out for themselves they're able to handle their endorsements however they so choose or are capable of doing based off of you know not only their skill but their ability to put themselves out there uh one thing that 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 was brought to my attention yesterday AJ was uh and and you mentioned agents earlier is about the idea that agents can go ahead or are formulating plans basically uh you know once July starts to to kind of get into some of these players ears and begin to offer you know offer them services down the line by giving them a you know a, a prepaid endorsement basically so uh agent X you know walks up to Will Anderson and says here's $500,000 Right now, you pay it back to me when you're in the or after you declare for the NFL draft and you get drafted, and I'm your agent. Uh, that worries me a lot, and I, I think that under any of these rules, no matter which direction the NCAA is able to go to, or even if they kick the can to the uh, to to the states and to the schools, that seems like a huge, huge problem in a lot of ways because, you know, Lord forbid, you know, Will Anderson gets hurt. He's not a first round pick and he's got to handle, you know, $500,000 debt to an agent who may not even sign him now. So touch on, on that situation and how maybe you would try to combat that a little bit uh, in the NCAA shoes. It's complicated. And, and like I said earlier, July 1st is a week away and there are too many things to handle. And I don't even think enough thought has been put into you know, how do you handle these 18, 19-year-old kids, freshmen in college, even seniors in high school, dealing with agents, you know, that are trying to give them, like you said, you know, half a million dollars and, oh, just pay me back later. Um, as far as what the NCAA or the states or the schools, what they can do about it, you know, I don't even know. Do you say, okay, you can't deal with an agent, but we'll give you financial advisors? So does the school offer you know, financial help and assistance. And that way they kind of steer clear of any wrongdoing from an independent party from the university. Does the state have a committee or a group that will help these players? I think that the only way to do it is from the inside. 
I cannot see a scenario in which they let, you know, high schoolers basically have free range with the Drew Rosenhauses, the Lee Steinbergs, and all, all that kind of stuff. Because, like you said, Jacob, offer Will Anderson half a million dollars, he gets injured, no more money to him. That's a dangerous situation. Very, very dangerous situation. I want to kind of switch gears a little bit to uh, the NFL. Both of us kind of keep close eyes on the Crimson Tide players in the NFL. And uh, you, you kind of took wrote something up from uh, Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network on uh, how the analytics kind of play out for Devontae Smith and for Jalen Waddell and how they, they stack up with their rookie class. Uh, I got to say, with, with in mind with what Cynthia Freeland you know, brings to the table because she's she's a wildly intelligent lady. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you see kind of Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith stacking up against each other in relation to who their quarterbacks are? Both of them have former Alabama quarterbacks. Uh, Jalen Hurts probably the more inaccurate of the two, and Tua Tagovailoa under probably the more pressure of the two. Uh, but both these wide receivers bring a lot of playmaking ability to catch passes from them. It's interesting because if I'm, if I'm going to sit here and say, you know, who do I think is going to be the most productive, it's not going to come down to, you know, who the wide receiver is. It's not Jalen Waddle versus Devontae Smith. It's like you said, Jacob, it's basically Tua versus Jalen Hurts and then also the supporting cast around them. So if we're going quarterback versus quarterback here, I'd prefer Tua. I think, I think that's a fair statement. I don't think Jalen Hurts is as developed as Tua is as far as being a you know, quarterback, quarterback. I'm excited to see what Jalen Hurts does, though, this season. Um, and then you got to look at the supporting cast. Who's around Devontae Smith? Who's around Jalen Waddle? In this case, I'm going to give it to Devontae Smith. I think Jalen Waddle's surrounded here by Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson. I mean, the names go on and on with the Miami wide receiving core. So the ball is going to be spread around more there. Devontae Smith has the edge of being wide receiver one in Philadelphia. Um, in my opinion, though, I do think just due to versatility, Jalen Waddle's going to have the edge in being the most productive of the two. Talking to A.J. Spur, writer for USA Today Sports Worldwide Wire, covering Alabama football, director of football operations for Tribe Sports Agencies. I'm Jacob Harrison, filling in for Travis Ryer on Southern Fried Sports. A.J., uh, you're Miami Dolphins, most Alabama players in the NFL on one roster. I was talking to Cameron Wolf of ESPN a few weeks ago on my show, uh, and he said, and I quote, Raekwon Davis could be the best defensive player on the Miami Dolphins roster very soon. What do you make of that statement? It doesn't shock me. Did he say best defensive player overall? On that defense, on the Miami Dolphins defense. That, that's a big endorsement from Cameron Wolf because we're looking at a defense that has one of the strongest secondaries in the league. And, you know, he, in my opinion, isn't even the best defensive lineman on the team. I think he has the potential to become the best defensive lineman. But when you're looking at Emmanuel Ogba and Christian Wilkins, it's hard for Raekwon Davis to, you know, stand out above the rest. Plus, you have interception leader from last year, Xavier Howard. You have Byron Jones. You have a whole slew of players on this team that are already stars and continue to you know, impress everyone with their stats. Raekwon just needs to step it up a little bit. I think if he can be the same Raekwon Davis we saw at Alabama next year for the Dolphins, 
you know, he'll, he'll have his names in, or he'll have his name in headlines all across the country. I think Dolphins fans are excited to see what he can do. I think they know what he has to offer. And I think they just want to see Crimson Tide Raekwon Davis in a Dolphins uniform. Uh, yeah. It, well, you know, to me, I, I was very disappointed with Raekwon. I was very impressed with the, the first season, but, and, and even with him going as early as he did in the second round to the Dolphins, I, you know, initially it was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, he's, he's had mm-hmm. a couple of down oh, no, years, I'm, but I, he right really turned around you. and had an impeccable rookie season, but you, you named off a lot of superstars for that Dolphins defense. So I was just as surprised when Cameron Wolf says, you know, he could very well soon be the best player on that defense. Very shocking. Uh, one more before we let you go. And of course it's to a tongue of Iloa. He is, uh, he has got a ridiculous amount of pressure on him, and it it, it kind of stems from the line of thinking that the excuses are out the window. You've said it countless times, and this time last year, you know, it, it would have been filled with laughter. There were no weapons for the Miami Dolphins offense. The offensive line was an even bigger question mark uh, than it is now, and and the running back room is is it's touchy. Like maybe somebody can can yeah. bounce out of that. But nonetheless, Tua has more pressure on him, I think, than any quarterback in the league to get it done right now. And I told Gary the other day, you know, like the NFL is involved in the way it looks at these quarterbacks. Just look at Josh Rosen. Absolutely nobody cares that he got dealt a foul hand. And it looks like Tua is being given that if he can't overcome uh, some of the question marks in his game. A hundred percent. And I find it funny that you, you have the Josh Rosen, you know, comparison in there just because he was on the Dolphins for that one year. Um, but you also got to take into account Josh Rosen led the Cardinals to a, a season where they ended up with the first over. Oh, well, that is unfortunate. <laughs> what impeccable timing. We lost AJ Spur uh, right there at the end. Uh, we're running low on time but I'll I'll see if we can get him back for uh that final question since he uh he didn't really get to get into it at all and uh so he can plug some of his stuff but that's AJ Spur writer for USA Today Sports Roll Tide Wire covering Alabama football the director of football operations for Tribe Sports Free Agency or excuse me agency not free agency agency uh we'll be back right after this for more on Southern Fried Sports I'm Jacob Harrison filling in for Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama Sports Tide 100.9 live you're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. We're back for more Southern Fried Sports here on Tide 100.9, your home for Alabama sports. I uh, am Jacob Harrison filling in for Travis Ryer. We uh, got cut off. What are you going to do about technology? It's uh, it's fickle. It is what it is. We're talking to A.J. Spur, writer for USA Today, Sports World Tide Wire, covering Alabama football and the director of football operations for Tribe Sports Agency. And we are talking about the pressure that Tua Tungvaloa is under with the Miami Dolphins in a do-it-or-die year, it seems. Uh, A.J., finish your thought, man. I'll make it quick because I know you're pressed up against the clock, but about that comparison with Josh Rosen and Tua Tungavailoa, Josh Rosen was given a bad hand, much like Tua was last season, but Josh Rosen led the Cardinals back to a first overall pick where they got Kyler Murray. Tua nearly missed the playoffs, got him to a 10-6 and record. 
Do I think the pressure is on 100% because there's no excuses? However, I don't think it's as bad as everyone's making it seem. Yeah, certainly. And, and even though all the excuses are out the door, he's got the weapons, he's got the coaching, he's got the tools to, to get it done and to prove everyone wrong. I think that, that with everything the Dolphins have and the talent that he has and the approach that the Dolphins are taking under head coach Brian Flores, they should have a strong chance of, uh, of finding their way into the playoffs this year. I mean, hell, there's seven teams. you got to do it, right? Uh, AJ, go ahead and uh, tell us what you got going on at Roll Tide Wire and what's going on at Tribe Sports Agency. Well, for Roll Tide Wire, there's a whole lot of uh, off-season content coming up. A lot of things about who Alabama is going to be facing in the 2021 season what they might do for the college football playoffs, and highlighting specific players along the way that fans need to look out for that might break out in 2021. With Tribe, a whole lot of recruiting going on, marketing, getting ready for the 2022 NFL draft. So, uh, you know, just coming off the 2021 draft, my brain's fried. Already getting (laughs) geared up for 2022. Absolutely. At Spur FM on the Twitter account, make sure to go give him a follow and stay up to date on all things Alabama Crimson Tide as well as those Miami Dolphins who have the most Crimson Tide alumni on an NFL roster. Man, we always appreciate your time, AJ. It's always good stuff. We'll catch up with you next time. Sounds good, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We got to get out of here. We're out of time. We're managing the clock just as good as Travis Ryer does. I promise. We're doing a good job. I'm Jacob Harrison. I'm going to be continuing to fill in for Travis Ryer the next two days. He'll be back next week. So no worries there. Tomorrow we'll have Tyler Martin on to break down some of the recruiting action that's going on for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Until then, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A nice early summer day is in progress across the area. Lots of sunshine, just some fair weather cumulus clouds. It'll be that way again tomorrow. 85 today, time high today. We'll drop to around 66 overnight tonight and back up to 86 degrees tomorrow. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Thank you for listening.